I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. This podcast is all about the adventures that Danielle and I have as dance teachers and choreographers living here in New York City. We'll be sharing our experiences and all the ridiculous and hilarious truths. With that being said, let's get into today's topic. Working with or teaching disabled students. So uh, this topic was actually recommended to us by one of our mm-hmm. listeners um, who reached out to us via email. Um and we'll say this to all of our listeners, if you have a topic that you'd love for us to suggest, by all means, feel free to email us, reach out via the Instagram, whatever way possible, we'd love to take topics from you guys. Absolutely, um, please do. But this topic in particular is working with uh, disabled students. And so Danielle and I have had no official training in the yeah, subject. Yeah, I would say like formal training. Yes. Um, however, I have been... I worked at a summer camp for disabled youth, we're using the term youth very loosely because I had students as old as 25 um, at the time. But this, uh, I was brought in as a choreographer, you know, the art side of things, but all the students were disabled. So we had to learn everything uh, all together. Um, And so uh, as a kind of precursor, we're saying disabled, but um, and as we share our stories, we might get into more specifics about the individual children, but we're talking about those with physical disabilities, social and emotional disabilities, and mental disabilities, because me and Danielle have taught all of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I, like Tony said, I have no formal training. And I'll be honest, like it wasn't even a subject or a class that we had in college. And now really thinking about it, I would highly recommend that program. Yes you know, have a class about what it means to teach, especially in art form to, you know, not just children, but any student of any age serving from any type of disability. Um, So again, we're not experts, we haven't necessarily studied anything, but we will speak upon our experiences and and what we've found works best. um, And any knowledge or training we have gotten through the years on the on um, any of these disabilities. I have to agree with Danielle. Like, I kind of wish this was a course that, like, was taught to dancers or dance teachers or, you know, because mm-hmm. um, the the first big thing that I have learned is that a lot of parents are not quick to share disabilities mm-hmm. with the students' teachers, especially if they're not visible ones. Yeah. And the, the, the phrase that I've heard when, uh, you know, a situation has happened and we're all, you know, we've dealt with the situation or we're figuring out what ways to accommodate to a situation. The parent always says, I don't want my child to be treated differently because of. Yeah, I've heard that. And I've heard, I don't want them to be treated differently. And I don't want them to lose out on opportunities because of. Exactly. And speaking for myself, I don't want your child to lose out on anything either, but I also want to be able to uplift your child in a positive Mm -hmm. positive environment. And so that's honestly where a lot of my, what training or what experiences I have came because I just started asking questions because all too often I will get a class roster for whatever, wherever I'm teaching at. 
And then I'll meet a kid and because I've just worked with them over years, I go, oh, this child has ADHD or this child has um, learning disabilities. Mm -hmm. And that may come up like that may seem like something that's not necessarily important in dance. But then I start teaching vocabulary. Let's be clear. A lot of dance vocabulary, especially if we're doing the basics, are in French. Mm -hmm. So if they're if they have difficulties with English trying to teach them a whole other language can be very difficult mm. or I can take different approaches. But if I don't know, I'm playing catch up to a game that I've already lost. Absolutely. And I think about one of the best things that ever happened. And now I advocate for, and I make sure I'm in these meetings is the first school I worked at full time, um, had me sit down and be part of the IEP meetings and, yes. the, um, and gave me an IEP binder. Now these are, um, like law binding documents. There's a lot of um, what's the, you know, sensitive materials and subject mm-hmm. in there. But at the end of the day, what an IEP does is it goes through, if you're working with children, yes. children specifically, it goes through how they have done in school so far or pre-K or whatever environment they've been in. And if there are any, you know, disabilities that have been um, noticed, that have been tested for and have been proven. And, um, you know, other stuff about them, so like stuff that triggers them, stuff that they love to do, right? Like I've had IEPs before for kids that are like, they have a, you know, they'll say like, oh, they have a learning disability, but on top of that, they have a really hard time um, like focusing and completing work which could, you know, maybe mean they have ADHD, but regardless, but then it'll be like, but the child is so well in gym class or they love to be out on the playground. And I'm like, great. So that means that they'll do well in dance and I could use dance to leverage them to hopefully make them just feel better and help them in their academics. Or I've read IEPs that are like, this child, you know, is, has XYZ gross or fine motor skill issues or delays. Not issues. That was the wrong word, but delays, right? And especially the gross motor, even the fine motor, but especially the gross motor. Mm-hmm. If that child has gross motor delays, they're not going to be able to do what I'm teaching or keep up. And I, again, like Tony said, I don't want them to feel bad. I don't want them to get frustrated and have the temper tantrum or shut down in class. But instead, I can have a separate conversation with them or scaffold activities or have two different ways of doing the activity so that they can feel successful. So, in what I, doing. so the first time, so for those that don't know, oh my God, I'm hoping I remember, IEP is Individual Assessment Education Educational plan? plan, I think. I'm going to look it up right now to double check. Um, I, because, so for the longest, Individual, individualized educational plan. Educational plan. Um, mm-hmm. So for the longest, fine arts teachers were not included in IEPs or after-school programs or secondary programs were not included in IEPs because like we said, these are legally binding documents that are to protect the child. And it, ha- it can have everything from like social services reports to mm-hmm. medical history. Like, so these yeah. are not documents All that can easily be seen by anyone. However... We are the fun teachers, so they excluded us at first. I personally, at a school, was dealing, we were teaching contact improv. This particular child in her IEP, which I had not been privy to, was not okay with physical touch. I knew she was skittish, but she really enjoyed my class. So I'm just thinking, once she gets comfortable. So when we got to the unit on contact improv, she thought she could handle it. 
And so she tried to do one of the exercises and then immediately flipped out when someone touched like her elbow or something. And like, it became a whole thing where she is like hyperventilating, full on panic attack. I'm like trying to get the kids to the wall, trying to be there for her, trying to get aid into the room with me. And so like after, you know, we get calmed down and everything's like that and we explain what's going on. Mom starts to get upset being like, why was she ever doing this exercise? You should have known better. And I'm like, uh, no, why would I would have known better? And that's when I found out in her IEP, she'd had some emotional stuff that happened in her childhood that like she's still working through and is going to, you know, honestly, dance had helped her become more comfortable with her body and, you know, help work through those things. But because I was left out of the fact that she was not ready for strangers in particular, we were doing kind of the amorphous blob contact improv thing. Mm-hmm. Like, so where mm-hmm. dancers just touch and react, touch and react. And so it literally becomes a giant bob blob of moving body parts. She was not ready for that. But, and so like after the fact, I had to go back to my bosses and be like, this is why I need to know what's happening with the children that are in my care. Because I would have never put her in a group. Like even if, even if she was like, I would like to try, I could have done a one person Uh, Mm -hmm. two people contact improv exercise with her to see how that goes or I could have brought in another teacher so that the person that she was working with has knowledge of what's going on Mm -hmm. and can react accordingly to make this person feel safe well and that was my first introduction to IEPs and I was not a happy camper about finding out that's a scary situation because yes you could I mean you wouldn't have been the school would have been but could have been sued right it's in the IEP But because you had no idea, you know, and so like, I'm really big on now I get the IEPs and if at first they don't ask, I go, I say, I need to be in a meeting. I need the binder. I need to look through all of the files. It's something I actually recently got upset with a teacher at the school that I work with because something happened and I like sent an email about something and I was like, Hey, so I noticed X, Y, and Z happened during you know during this class well danielle obviously because x y and z is going on at home how was i supposed to know that if you don't talk to me and so i think like the biggest thing i mean we're kind of like moving away from this but like communication is key and then i will say that like something else is like you said this before you kind of started touching upon this before like dance and dance class movement is so magical in the sense that it can help so much, not only with like those who are more visceral learners versus, you know, cerebral, but it can also help to heal trauma. Um, so I do have who- dance therapy training and mm. that, is, that is definitely something that I have found exceedingly helpful. Like I often, and I should go back and get like training with those with disabilities, but like, um, I have learned that a lot of the things that I did that fall under my dance therapy training has helped those on varying levels of disability with disability. Well, and Um, I was going to say, like, it's just, it's can be such a magical, powerful place, but on the flip side, depending upon like the situation you had with this uh, student in your class, depending on what's going on with them, it can also be a trigger. It could be something that they're not ready for. And so Having, I think, first and foremost, a couple of things that there's like dance teachers or educators listening. If you work in a school, even if you're after school, 
ask for the IEP binder. If you're not allowed to have it because maybe it's an after school program or something like that, ask for some sort of like a cheat sheet rundown. Mm-hmm. You know, throw the S word at them. You could get sued if X, Y, and Z happens because I didn't know about it. They'll give you the binder. The other thing I would say is um, if you notice something with a student, talk to somebody about it. Talk to your supervisor, their teacher. You know, maybe you don't go to mom and dad or the guardian first because you don't want to push in pride. But it is so to me, I'm like, at the end of the day, it is more important that I am making sure a child feels safe and can learn than keeping them, you know, and I don't know, like, and keep and more, <laughs> or just alienate, alienating them or making them feel worse. Because I think of, I think of all the time, like I said, we are, we've talked about this on the show before, we are constantly having to teach dance history and dance vocabulary and other, other forms of just pure physically moving your body. And the last thing I want to do is to give a child, you know, a definition like here, read the paragraph that I've placed up on the wall that has a ton of, ton of French words. Like if I know they struggle to read, mm-hmm. like I'm not going to alienate this child to read this one paragraph when it's Absolutely. not that vital, you know? And so mm-hmm. That is definitely something that has to be taken into account. Also, on the reverse of it, when it comes to physical disabilities, I want parents to not limit their children as well. Leave it to the professionals. So um, prior to the shutdown, I had several students that are hearing impaired. I had some that were, so I guess, Legally speaking, all of these these uh, students were in fact uh, hearing are, are legally deaf, I think by terms, but mm-hmm. one or two of them had some type of hearing, um, but one of them had no hearing at all because both her parents were in fact deaf and so was she. So like she had no capabilities to hear whatsoever, but I was teaching them STEM. And I remember the sign up day when everyone was signing up for classes and one of the parents was so opposed to her signing up for STEP because she said she's not going to understand it. She's not going to, she's not going to be able to be as involved. And I'm literally like, that's so not true. I was yeah. like, if anything, STEP, STEP be and hip hop, I'm probably asking any music that has large bass or drum has vibrations. I was just going to say that. I mean, there are other musical forms where you can make it work, but any type of dance that has type of vibrations to it, they're going to literally feel the rhythm. And so I was, I was, I was, I had to like do a lot of work with this mom to like, give us the first semester, give us the first semester, give us the first semester. And she was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, sure, sure, sure. We can do it. She got to the Christmas show and she was in tears because her daughter turned out to be like one of the best steppers I had. Just because like the, the arts are not removed from those that have disabilities. And, They're you know, actually more inclusive at the end of the day. Yes, because, and, and it was one of those things of like, I will say, I noticed the other students in the class had concerns when they saw that I had three students that were deaf, but they're used to them being at school. So they were kind of like, this will be interesting. They never verbally said anything, but I could mm-hmm. see in their faces, they were a little serious. And so I would show it to them once. And then they would learn it like everyone else. And then if on the rare occasions where we did a very complicated step, I would tap out the rhythm on their palm. So they would know kind of the rhythmic of it. After that, they would be, especially this one girl. Oh, she was so talented. She would beast through this entire piece. And I just remember the the shock and awe of 
the other teachers, like my, my sign language interpreter with me, she was like, this isn't surprising to me. I know so many people that like, I was like, but to those that are not disabled, we ignore, we do ignore those with physical disabilities a lot of the time thinking that they're incapable. And the arts has just never been that to me. Mm-mm. Never. So I, I have a student, um, you know, obviously we're virtual right now, but I have a young student who um, is autistic. Um, he is a genius. I mean, this kid is our genius. My last name is Colangelo. A lot of people, even adults, can't pronounce it correctly. Day one of meeting me, kindergarten, he, he said, what's your name? I said, Miss Colangelo. He spelt it correctly. Never saw it. Like, nice. this kid is a, I'm like, spent his very early years in Africa. Like, this kid's a genius. But he is on the spectrum, highly on the spectrum. Um, and so gross motor isn't bad, but there are certain limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, and not like, not that much, and it's gotten a lot better. But, uh, you know, last year there were. And more so, he wasn't a huge fan of partaking in physical activities. Mm-hmm. And so when he would come to dance, there was a, in the beginning, there was a lot of, he has to participate, Danielle, he has to participate, he has to participate from outside adults. I was like, mm, not that I don't want him to participate because that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying, is there something else? Does he have to be physically moving in my classroom if that's going to trigger him or make him feel alienated or set something off in him? Because my classroom has drums, it has moving blocks, it has books, right? It has other dance things in it. He has to, he has to, he has to. I was like, y'all, he doesn't have to, but whatever. So after a couple of weeks of it not working, surprise, surprise, right. I took a different approach and I set up a space for him and I said, hey, this is going to be your space. And um, he loves to count. Okay. He loves to count. So he's like, bring a lot of math ma- manipulatives to, to class and use those, create problems. But then Slowly but surely, Miss Clinton, can I read this book? Yep, whole book about Alvin Ailey. Absolutely, you can take the book, right? He would sit in the back of the room and he would do a lot of reading. I would say that he was more involved with the drumming activities when we get into like our unit on rhythm. Part of that is because he's from, literally from Africa and that it's like highly influential in specifically his culture. Um, And part of that is because drumming and hearing rhythms is so intricate. And he would do these things where he would think he wasn't paying attention. He would read a book in the back. And then you would ask the class, I would ask the class, oh, who can recall? What did we learn about today? He'd raise his hand and he could tell you. Mm -hmm. It got to a point by, by the end of the year, well, pause, end of the year, I mean, March before everything shut down he was able to perform in the dance show without barely ever having been standing up and learning the dance steps now it wasn't perfect but he was able to do that because the way his brain and his body worked he was able to watch he was able to count he's a visual artist he would he would count along with me 
he would remember, he would know exactly the pattern of movement, right? And so, I mean, just like incredible. I love this kid, love his family. But I just think that like, again, the arts are more inclusive. And just because they're not learning the way that you would expect someone to be in dance class, doesn't mean they can't dance, doesn't mean that they can't participate at all. It's just about finding, it's about A, asking as the oh, teacher, yes. as the adult, asking for advice and knowledge on, hey, I've never worked with a kid that's autistic. Can you sit down with me and tell me some stuff about it or what you think would work? Mm-hmm. And then trying to implement those things and trusting that, trusting that like they just have a different learning style. And that's, I think, becomes so important because I, I've had two students separately but one of them, Matt, really loved to be involved, but Matt had, um, oh, I don't want to say the wrong diagnosis, but he, 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 did, he, had, he had severe balance issues to where he had to constantly hold on to mm, a stable mm-hmm. adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of yes. those things of like, he would like dance and he would do the moves, he would go through the motions, but at any given time, balance would be gone and he, he's going to... Uh, immediately grab whoever is near him because he knows so he was he was one of the ones that was older he was in his early 20s he knew that like and they they did very well with him he knew that falling was bad if i fall i break something i fall i hurt myself i don't want to fall so he would grab on to anything if that is a seven-year-old child that is near him he's gonna grab that seven-year-old child not realizing mm-hmm. i have an adult body that seven-year-old child can't hold me i just know falling is bad for me mm-hmm. and i remember just the concern that so many people had about him trying to do the show or wanting to do the show. And literally me and another uh, counselor at the summer camp, we were like, we'll stand on stage with him. And they're like, so we were able to put him in all the big group numbers because we would just stand on either side of him. And he would literally hold one of our wrists and be able to do whatever dance move. And if he needed to switch arms, he, you know, he would switch our switch hold who he was holding on to. And, me and Kevin, I have no problem mentioning Kevin because Kevin has actually worked. Kevin does have training with those with disabilities because he's worked for several theater companies like that and what have you. Um, we we would just let him hold on to us, but he would in, have so much fun, you know, dancing with everyone and enjoying himself mm-hmm. simply because the only he needed someone to help balance him, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had another uh, young lady who was like had an ankle something in particular I cannot remember the specifics in years now where she could not um her ankle could not support a lot of weight and she was on crutches um crutches and braces and she happened to see my ballet class and she was like oh my god I would love to take bar I would love to do the ballet bar and I was like okay and then come take ballet bar with us every day mm-hmm. she's like but I don't know if I can I was like we're all we're balancing the same issue. They're having the same issues of learning how to balance with their body. Give it a try. And so the next day, like she came in and like, with she was doing, she did bar. Like she would have to do some modifications when it was on the left side. But the fact that like she was able to only, she only actually needed one uh, crutch while she was doing it, uh, while she was doing bar with us. The fact that like, she had a gorgeous porter bra. Now that I think about it. But like, Watching her kind of like lose herself and just doing bar, which most dancers can tell you most of us hate bar or Mm -hmm. bars a struggle because like you have to get it perfect because you're at bar. Um, But watching her like come alive while she would, she would do bar with us. um, 
she wanted to do across the floor, but that was a little uh, center work and across the floor work was a little too difficult for her, but she would still stand on the side and like do what, what she could. And like, I just remember thinking, has she tried this before at this school and no one let her because mm. of whatever reason? Um, Cause the school's had dance for years. So I'm just, I'm just a firm believer, and I know we've said this on the show before, I'm certain, but if we haven't, I'll say it again. Dance is for everyone. The arts are Mm -hmm. for everyone. And there might be limitations or there might be difficulties that come along the way, but I've seen it help too many people find happiness and joy and comfort that I don't Mm -hmm. think that working with those that that are disabled highly or not at all or, you know, uh, physical or even mental and emotional. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think there is room for everyone because it's uh, it's not surprising that the student you had where he really loved the drums. I can tell you how many times when there's live mm-hmm. music, you know, students that are on the spectrum enjoy it, thoroughly enjoy mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. I mean, and he, you know, he was just someone I, I, um, I, I also, I had a young man in a show that I choreographed who was on the spectrum, but also had some motor issues, fine and gross. Um, And, you know, I knew about it. The director knew about it. The musical director knew about it. The stage manager knew about it. Okay. Okay. So we understand that processing. And I think there was also a processing that went along with it. um, Processing might take a little bit longer. Okay. So we know that. So I'm not going to yell at you when you didn't remember something right away. Like I might yell at the next kid. Right. Uh-huh. But like, and I remember um, after opening night, mom came up to myself and the director and she was just in tears because she said, I never thought that he would be able to do this. Yep. And here he is like a supporting character in this musical with solos doing the whole show accepted by his cast. Also like what a wonderful cast that was, but like, I just think that it's such theater is theater and dance and the arts are such an accepting place in general. Mm-hmm. And I think that too many times people, I agree with you, Tony, that people think of it as like, well, that's so much extra. It's so much more my child or whoever will never be able to do it. Meanwhile, it could be the thing that lights them up. Um, yeah. Because I, I find that that happens a lot of times with, uh, dancers with scoliosis or mm-hmm. uh, spinal issues and 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 things like I remember uh, this was in college maybe it was one of the dancers had um, scoliosis and so she could not get her turns down mm-hmm. and we were I think I've talked about this we were tested on turns like one of my my jazz teacher only tests us on turns because she said a lot if you're not aligned on turns at center why am i wasting my time it's going to show up elsewhere and i remember the young lady that had scoliosis and she was like i like i will never be able to turn like that because i have x y and z and my professor was like that's not true i don't know why that's not true but ask me again tomorrow and i'm gonna be able to tell you why it's not true and un- unbeknownst to us we all found out our professor was married to a doctor. And so she like went home and like, and she herself like has her master's blah, blah, blah credentials. So like she went and like mm-hmm. did some research, talked with her husband. She was like, ha this is why I know you can do your turns because of this, this, and like, she just broke down like how 
you might this slight modification like you might have to like adjust or overcompensate the carriage of your arms or like the placing of your hip or your shoulders but you can still get just as many turns Mm -hmm. by the end of the semester baby girl was hitting four and fives you know pirouettes like everybody else and so I, I think just seeing that just reminds me like and I've met plenty of dancers honestly with like trick hips bad knees bad shoulder you know injuries that they've overcompensated for so like if that is possible for those that it, the where those disabilities have appeared later in life there is mm-hmm. no reason that from jump when we know what the issue is or we know what the concern or difficulty is that we can't make this stronger or better or yeah. learn how to make it work I also say, you know, I get asked this question a lot, right? Like, why do you, why did you decide to teach dance? And I decided to teach dance for a couple of reasons. A, I think about how dance was my safe space growing up. It was a place where I excelled and I felt comfortable in my own skin and I was pushed and I, I was trying different things, all those reasons. So I want to be able to kind of give my experience to someone else. I also teach dance because I know firsthand that those with learning disabilities tend to gravitate toward and excel in art, the arts. Also like awful sports usually, but like we're just talking about the arts in particular. My brother, for instance, who's on this podcast, like he, um, uh, you know, he's dyslexic, but he, you know, ask him to you know, sing a song after the first time hearing it, it's perfect pitch, you know, and I just think like that, you know, and that's where he excelled. And, and um, I think about all of the students that I have that have learning disabilities, and you read their IEPs, especially when you like work at a school school, and you read the IEPs, and it's like, um, you know, they have a reading delay, they have a speech delay, they're having issues in math, um, you know, and parents are so concerned that they'll never make it, you know, their grades are not going to be good enough. They'll never exceed. They don't understand, you know, they're not a lot of times, like the reason why they're not like excelling in academics is because they might not be cerebral learners. There are all these different types of learners out there. Then you put them in an arts class Mm -hmm. and it is like, they are just, that's where they shine. They can move their body. They can understand music. They can create, they can explore. And let me tell you how many times I've had young kids who for like kindergarten, first or even second grade in the units, like shapes in math and geometry. And the teachers are like, they don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. I teach a unit on shapes and dance. I always do for my, for my young kids. Always, 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 because it's a core dance element, your body, making shapes with your body, how that translates all of a sudden they know where they know where their angles are. They know how to make a straight line. They understand that shapes can move, right? Because not everyone is a cerebral learner, right? I, I could also like go on my platform about like education reform and oh my God, the whole thing right now. But I well, it's the arts are an amazing way. I mean, we're talking dance in particular, but music, singing. Or it my makes me think God. of um, like, Kicking, so like, right. Uh, you got no math. <laughs> There, there's a uh, so there's always this funny thing of like where one of my friends is also a choreographer, Janelle. I don't think we've had her in the podcast yet, but like we always talk about like what type of choreographer are you? Are you a five, six, seven, eight? 
are you a boom cack? Are you a like, uh, <laughs> like how, how do you count and like keep rhythm? Like, cause every choreographer has kind of like their own rhythm mm-hmm. of what they do. And I remember having this one girl in, she was a middle schooler and they were like, she's terrible at the vocabulary. She's hard. She, you know, she has a hard time memorizing things. Looked at her IEP. There's some things going on there where memorization and retention are not easy for her. So the first thing I said, cool, I'm going to record all of our classes. All of our classes are going to be uploaded to a, you know, to a Google classroom where there are private links. You must have the password to get it. If I find it on the Mm -hmm. internet, I fail you. So like instantly this girl got away where she could go back and watch class. Mm -hmm. And I just said, cool, this is called a jete or it's going to be ba-bam. And she was like, oh, ba-bam? Oh, I can do a ba-bam. Like she would just associate sounds with kind of movements. And so I was mm-hmm. like, it's like a boom cat. Uh, uh. She's like, oh, I got it. You know, and so she watching her like go from the kid that would like hated to do across the floor, would like try to hide and be the last one to go to hide and not like watching her do that to be the first one to go across the floor because she was able to understand it differently just because mm-hmm. her brain, it wasn't, it wasn't challenging her memory. It was only it was only challenging her auditory intake. Um, like that made such a difference for her mm-hmm. that like I will I still remember to she's a grown woman now that's doing wonderful off like I think she's about to graduate college this year actually, but like so successful just because she was able to once she realized she could be confident and feel comfortable she was able to put other things in place to get that vocabulary learned and get Mm -hmm. those other things that she knew she needed or that she wanted and was able to make it work for her in so many different ways. So like, and it's, and it's just also the confidence, right? Like Mm -hmm. I was super, super, super shy kid. Like I, I always tell everyone to this day, like, I know I'm a lot more outgoing now. I know you don't think I am, but like, I'm just an extroverted introvert because I've had to work on it also. But like, ask my mom we'd even be at like family events and if like a family friend who I didn't see a lot would come talk to me at like nine years old I would like hide behind my mom's leg you know like I'm an introvert and so I think when you get a a physical art too I mean any art actually literally any art but also in dance when you're able to express yourself or or release tension or stress or happiness or anger from your body you're able to then find the confidence to move on with the rest of your day. So maybe you're in school and you're a kid and you're a student and the rest of your day still isn't easy, but you know, you now have these tools to understand how to feel in your body and release things or just the confidence to know that like, I was able to do that in dance. I'm going to be okay in math class, right? Or like, I'm going to deal with math and I'll get through math because then I get to go to dance where I thrive. Or having people... I've heard one of my students that is uh, disabled speak about the fact that he he said for the first time in my class, and it made me cry. Oh, there's a tear now thinking about it because mm-hmm. this one like got me part. He's like, for the first time in my life, I had people staring at me because not because I'm disabled, but because I did something right. Oh. And I was like, yeah. Ugh, ugly. like I had like was I lost it when he said that. And his mom was like, I've never known that he felt that way or just like that because I mean, he was good. It was like, was it hip hop modern? I don't remember what dance style it was, but like, I just, you know, like 
I think I think his was another spinal thing. So like it was modern because we were doing swings mm-hmm. and we were you know mm-hmm. we were doing Lamone swings and things like that. And so uh, it it Lamone and Florida can be a little gooier and you don't have to have it such perfect lines all the time. Mm-hmm. And so he was able to excel at that because he wasn't caught in ballet where he needed certain alignment things, you know, like, so the fact that he could, you know, kind of slink his way through things, he was phenomenal. Um, And just watching, just just like hearing him say that, you know, like it really, I, I, I will never, I will never see be for anyone turning down the arts to those just because they have a disability. I've seen it. I've seen successful dancers with disabilities of every single kind, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. physical, emotional, at all ages. I know um, mm-hmm. I've seen, but I have not worked with a dancer who do, um, who had to have her leg amputated, but she still goes on point. She was able to get a prosthetic made that's a, that's a point you. And so mm-hmm. she's still able to go on point, you know? So like, there are still numerous. And numerous even if like things. you, like physically, you know, like I'm thinking of like, I've never worked with someone, but I know people who are, have worked with like dancers who are in wheelchairs. It's not uh-huh. just about your legs. Dance is more than just your legs. It's the rest of your body as well. Absolutely. And there's no reason why you can't create a whole beautiful dance sitting down and being a beautiful dancer. And there's um, such creative ways of doing that, that, that I would say to those that are, to choreographers and dancers that are able body. Treat, treat it as a way to challenge yourself to like that that kid or that student feels so comfortable or so at home in your class that they that they're they want to be there because they know whatever piece of choreo you're going to give them they can also do yeah that's how I look at it is that like they're just excited to see what I come up with as their classmates even though they have this you know this disability so I, I, I think that. there's a lot to be said for just giving it a try and stop taking things at surface value because like yeah I think the arts are all about questioning the status quo or questioning what we think mm-hmm. something should be or is and proving proving the world wrong yeah and I just like you know I think like obviously all all of my students are special and I remember so many of them but those who who someone usually not the student usually it's someone else says they are not going to be able to do this I'm nervous for them to do this. Um, I don't know if they can handle this. Those are the ones that like, when something happens, you just like, I mean, you'll never forget that, you know? Exactly, exactly. Um, I also want to say, I was recently speaking with someone about this, that dance and movement is not just technical. Of course, if you want to pursue it, or you're serious about it, you need the technique. We talk about how important technique is all the time. Tony and I are huge proponents of like actual technique, like Mm -hmm. of course, right? Um, But dance is also about just like being present in your body and being able to like move your body and express when you thought you couldn't and tell a story or pinpoint where something is coming from and move through that and just like, dancing for yourself and that's come up a lot for me lately and like some work I've been doing and, and talking to someone I've been working with and thinking about we are getting to the point where things are are going to resume yeah like let's be let's you know we've had this conversation before where Tony and I are like oh things are going to resume but like no we're at that point where like in the next four to six months there's going to be drastic shifts 
and I, I just hope that like if your child's not back yet when they go back to dance class or when you go back to the studio as a dancer, as a choreographer, as an artist, as a human being, mm-hmm. dance is more than just performing or being oh, noticed. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I, I also think that that's part of the, that's part of the thing with like arts and education. Arts and like, there are, the, having the arts is not, it's not just an extracurricular and it's not just like, oh, well, they're either going to be famous or what's the point? Like, no, it's more than that. And it can do so it's much. It's a lifeline. Yeah. It's a lifeline to so, so much. So, so much. Um, and this kind of brings me into kind of like the tip of the week um, mm-hmm. for this episode. Um, this one is for our teachers. Like, I, I mean, like, whole global pandemic aside for those in the United States, the whole like political election aside, we're also almost through the entire school year teachers. Mm. So like, let's think like we're, we're at the end of February, like teachers, (laughs) right? Like, so teachers, (laughs) if you're wondering, like you're feeling overwhelmed fatigue and all those other things, even though we just got back from midwinter break or some of you didn't have midwinter break, but like you're, you're feeling that way because you probably didn't realize we're halfway through your school year. Mm Mm-hmm. That's why you're feeling it, because I definitely had um, a moment last week during, I was on vacation last week, not even going to lie, but I was just like, oh my God, I'm feeling so exhausted because like, we're in the second semester of a a whole school year and it hasn't completely felt like a school year to me because we're we're remote and like some of my classes are hybrid and all kinds of, you know, like all the other stuff. It hasn't quite dawned on me that like we're in the middle of a school year. Like I've been working, but like it's just been felt very weird or it's felt like it's had happened to someone else outside of my body. So it's just like teachers breathe. You're okay. You've made it, you know, if there's one upside to this ridiculous world is that no testing is happening right now. So we might actually be able to enjoy the month of March in schools and for our non-teachers out there in uh, March is testing month. So there's always like, there's very little, I think there's all either no or very little days out of school because March is test month and it's usually quite miserable for most of us teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, But this year, you know, could be kind of great. There's no testing, Mm -hmm. you know? So I just say, you know, breathe teachers, breathe. We can make it to spring break. We can make it to the end of the school year. Yeah, that's so, yeah. Well, I do have something else kind of along what I was just saying before, but it's so funny that you said that because I definitely spent, I was off last week as well. And I definitely spent half of the week being like, I'm just like tired. And like, I just like slept and laid down because it yep. is true. It is, it's this weird feeling of like, we're in like that, sh- right? Like I always say like end of October, to November, shitty part of the school year, right? Like February to March, shitty part of the school year. But because yep. we've been remote, it doesn't feel as it does. Like, honestly, it is kind of like a weird out of body experience, yeah. but I was exhausted the week before and I was highly irritated with everyone and I definitely needed that, that break. Um, and today I, I went outside earlier today to get some coffee and it's so beautiful. I'm in New York and it's so gorgeous and beautiful. It was like 48, sunny, not windy, literally hasn't been like this in God knows since when. And I had that moment of like, and if, if we have any teachers listening out there, you're going to know exactly what this means. That moment of like, in the air, you could feel that like the school year is almost over. Oh, like it's yes. that feeling. And I was like, and obviously like it's still the end of February and we have a little while to go, but it was that 
that's how it felt. That was the weather today. And I had a moment of like, holy shit though, like next week is March and like, yeah. it's going to be the end of the school year before we know it. Like that's insane. How did we get, um, how did we get here? That's why I'm but, tired. Um, I know, but yeah, so I agree with you, but I would say my tip of the week, um, this goes back to, I was chatting with a friend of mine, uh, doing some like dance stuff with her in this business she started. And, uh, we were just talking about this idea of, I think, and I think this is very prevalent in a lot of younger adults and performers and young performers. And we've kind of touched on this before. And I know Tony and I agree on this and we've said this before, but like dance class should be about dancing and it should be about moving your body. Mm. It should not be about impressing the teacher or the other students, you know, dancers in the class, or, um, you know, trying to get noticed or asked to like record, right? Like looking at you, Broadway Dance Center and steps, right? Like, but um, it should be about dancing. It should be about connecting with your body and why you love dance and expressing and emoting and like letting shit go. Um, And I really hope that as things start, I know there are studios out there that have already reopened as the world slowly gets back to normal, as auditions rev up, as theater comes back, as, as big studios open, I really hope we can remember that like, when you go to a class and you dance, that's when someone usually ends up noticing you too. But it's not about that. Like dance to dance, don't dance to just dance. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, that's it for us. The curtain has closed on this episode, but we hope that you will join us next week. And every week after that, episodes come out every thursday you can find us on your favorite podcast app don't forget to like comment and subscribe we are at point pyt on all social media platforms i'm your co-host tony williams ii and i'm your co-host neil clanjoro see you next week on point your toes the adventures of an nyc dance Control.